0: Welcome to another great message by Pastor Adrian Wright, lead pastor at Anchor Church. We pray this message will encourage, inspire, and transform your life. Our heart is to share the hope of Jesus with our city and nation. We've been working through the book of 1 Corinthians here in 2021, Uh, every year we pick a main book that we'll work through and we we just go chapter by chapter and we let it speak to us and we allow God to impact our lives through His Word and through His Holy Spirit. And so we come to uh, this part in our series called On Mission in a Mad World. You know, if the last 18 months to two years have taught us anything, is that the world truly is mad. And we found out it probably has been mad for a very, very long time. We maybe just didn't realize it. And it's in that context of of the craziness and the chaos of humanity and society that Paul was writing to the church in Corinth, saying to them, this is how I want you to be the church. This is how I want you to share the message and bring the hope. Not Not by becoming like the world, but by being different in order so that you can make a difference. And so when we have Jesus present in our lives, our lives look different. They are shaped different. They they sound different. We don't adopt the culture of this world like the people in Corinth were doing. They were allowing the influence of Greek Hellenism in that day and the city of Corinth and that wild city. They were allowing it to infiltrate their values and their culture as a church. And instead of the church changing the world, the world was changing The church. In the Message Bible, it tells us that the church is not peripheral to the world. The world is peripheral to the church. This is the body of Christ. This is the presence of God, the creator of heaven and earth, the one who created all things. This is his body, his community. This is the place through which he reaches and the people through which he reaches this world. And so we have an incredibly important message and an important mission, and so we need to know how we can be on mission in a mad world, and that's what we've been talking about in 1 Corinthians. And now we come to this interesting part in 1 Corinthians 12, where Paul starts speaking to them about the spiritual gifts. So today we're going to start a little sub-series again in the book of 1 Corinthians called The Spiritual Gifts gifts and i want to share a message with you today which basically is the first few words of 1 corinthians 12 in fact in 1 corinthians 12 verse 1 paul says now concerning spiritual gifts and so and so my message to you today is now concerning spiritual gifts he says brothers and sisters about the spiritual gifts i do not want you to be uninformed we can just go ahead and And put that scripture up there. I do not want you to be uninformed. I do not want you to be ignorant. I do not want you to to lack in knowledge regarding the operation of the gifts. Of the Holy Spirit, and he goes on to talk about what those gifts are and how they operate, and that's what we're going to cover in this series. Uh, we'll talk about the gifts, we'll talk about the different kinds of gifts and how they function, and and how God intended for them to be used, and what kind of a difference and an impact they can make. We'll talk about tongues and speaking in tongues and praying in tongues and the message of tongues, and and we'll we'll talk about the ultimate motivation of all of that, which is love, which is to make God known, which is to manifest His presence. So. The thing about the gifts of the spirit that is difficult for people and often difficult for the church and difficult for different groups of people to palate or to or to digest is the fact that it actually requires some manifestation. Now that manif- that word manifestation is a little bit of a of, of a big one. It can be a little bit of a scary one because what do we mean by manifestation of the Spirit? Well, it speaks quite plainly about the fact that when God is present and when God is working and when God is moving, that there is some kind of a real-life, real-time experience to what God is doing. That it is actually something that we can perceive and experience right now in this time in history. It requires a tangible experience. Something becomes present, it, it, it's something real that we can see and perceive with our senses. And, th- and that makes it kind of a step up from just saying, oh, I have faith, right? Because I can say, do you have faith? Yeah, I have faith. Do you have faith? Yeah, I have faith. Do you believe? I believe. Do you believe? I believe. We all believe. Everybody believe. How do I know you believe? Okay, if I watched you every day for a few years, I would see the fruit of God's salvation in your life. That's true. But if I wanted to see right now, how do I know? But the gift of the Spirit It's a manifestation. Something has to happen. One of the gifts of the Spirit is the gift of healings, different kinds of healing that God can do. If somebody got healed, if somebody walked in here with a broken leg and got prayed for and were healed, we would notice. They noticed in the Bible. The guy who got healed noticed, (laughs) right? It's a manifestation as people, whoa, okay, now that's a little bit too spiritual for me now. Like I was good with like Jesus loves me and uh, there's some good advice in the Bible, but now you've gone a step too far. Now you're actually talking about the manifestation of mir- miraculous works, supernatural acts of God in my presence. Whoa, time out. People get overwhelmed by this. 1 Corinthians 12, seven says, to each one is given, and so here's one step further. It's not just, it's not just that there's a manifestation of the Spirit. It's that the, manif- the Spirit is manifest through you, through every individual in this place. He's not just gonna manifest by himself, he's gonna work through us. So to each one, to each one of us is given the manifestation of the spirit. God's powerful, miraculous, supernatural work through us for the good of all, for the common good. God edifies and builds his church through his spirit, through this manifestation. He makes himself present. He makes his presence tangible. Something happens. Something supernatural and spiritual takes place in the context of reality so that we're not just left assuming God's presence. Oh, God is present, I think. No, we're experiencing his presence. God wants people to have an encounter with him, a genuine, authentic encounter. That's what God has always done. He's always worked powerfully through his spirit. We see this from the beginning in Genesis 1 verse one, first first verse of the Bible. And verse 2 says this, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering. That word hovering in the Hebrew means to, to brood or to pulsate with potential, ready to, to enact, to be the agency of God, to bring about the will of the Father. And so as God spoke the world into being, the Holy Spirit moved and made manifest the Word of God, manifestation. In fact, everything we live in today, creation itself, every time we look up at the stars or we stand looking out over the ocean, everything that we experience, every bird and every tree and every cloud in the sky is a manifestation of a supernatural God. It's the natural coming out of the supernatural. In fact, in in Hebrews 11.3, it says, by faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen today was not made out of things that were seen. In other words, the natural came out of the supernatural. The supernatural is the greater reality. It is the eternal reality. And so the whole universe ultimately is a manifestation of a supernatural God. And so if you have a problem with supernatural acts of God, you really have an issue with creation. You really have an issue with how everything came to be. Because if God acted supernaturally by the power of the Holy Spirit to bring everything into being, why do we think He would no longer act in such a way? Why would we think that God would stop acting supernaturally and intervening that his providence would no longer be available to us and that all of a sudden it's just, everything's just naturalistic and everything's just you know science and and logics and, and whatever, logistical things. No, God still acts supernaturally in our world and in our lives. It's how he created us and it's how he recreates us through Jesus. This is a great reminder to us that our faith is not a theory. It's not a mere philosophy. We do not speak of Jesus the same way that the Greeks and the Romans spoke of Apollos or Zeus. We do not speak about our God the same way that the Norsemen spoke of of Odin or Thor. The gospel, the Bible, the message of Jesus is not a fable. It's not moral principles wrapped in allegory and creative storytelling and powerful imagery in order to convey some message of morality in order to affect socialization and enculturation in people's lives so that we would all become responsible citizens within society. That's not the purpose of, of our faith. That's not the intention of the scriptures. This is not about modifying people to fit in with a healthy society. No, this is about an encounter with the living God, It's about his tangible presence. It's about moving in the spirit. It's about hearing God's voice in your own life where you can pray for people, for yourself, for others as well and see God work powerfully on on your behalf. Why? Because you simply trust him to do so. Because you're moving in the spirit of God and living a greater life than you can live in your own strength. You see, the blood of Jesus did not drip on some fabled ground. It's not just a story we tell the kids in Sunday school, no. His actual liquid blood dripped into the sand in the Middle East 2,000 years ago. He was nailed to a real cross and hung on a hill called Golgotha that you can still go and visit today. He died as God in the flesh for the sins of all humanity, standing in the gap for all of us so that we can be redeemed in real time. And he was dead. He was buried in a grave, a grave that you can still go and see today, the garden tomb. A massive stone was rolled in front of that tomb and it was guarded by Roman soldiers. They stood there. And Jesus was raised from the dead, supernatural. He came back to life. A fact that was attested to and proclaimed to the woman that arrived at the tomb on that third day by supernatural beings called angels that said, he is not here, he is risen. That's a supernatural story that happened in reality. God lived out and and brought the reality of salvation into this world through Jesus. And so if you're looking for a philosophical religion. If you came here today looking for a place that will give you five steps to self-help or some principles for self-improvement or some fables to teach you how to be a better member of society, then you have come to the wrong place. Because we are not about, we're not concerned with inculturating you into some acceptable mold at the end of the day. We are concerned with what is real, with what is true, We're concerned with you actually having an encounter with Jesus himself, meeting with Jesus. It's available to all of us because of the grace of God. That's what God has done for us, and it's what he's always done. We see it in the life of Saul, who became Paul, while he was breathing murderous threats underneath his breath, wanting to take out the church. He was walking on the way to Damascus and on the way there, he encountered the resurrected Christ, the ascended Christ in that moment in Acts 9, verse three to six, it says, as he went on his way, he approached Damascus and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him and falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Saul was persecuting the church, but the church is Jesus's body. And so Jesus says, Saul, why are you persecuting me? An encounter, he says, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city and you will be told what you are to do. Supernatural encounter and Paul's life. He went from being Saul to Paul. He went from being the one who uh, locks Christians up and tears families apart and, 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 and stands by, approving of their death as Stephen was stoned, to the greatest Builder of the church in the first century. To the one who had planted church in nation after nation after nation after nation and would ultimately give his life for the gospel. Why? Because he adopted a philosophy. Because he heard about how to be moral. No, because he encountered Jesus, the presence of God. The believers on the day of Pentecost, Acts 2 verse 1, 2 verse 1 to 4 says, When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place like we are today. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Powerful encounter with the Holy Spirit. We want to be on mission. What happened this day? They received the power of the Holy Spirit. And they go out and they're speaking in tongues. They're prophesying, they're declaring the goodness of God in every tongue to every nation that has arrived. And on that day, Peter gets up filled with the Holy Spirit. He says, these people are not drunk. They're not out of their minds. They've simply received the fullness of the promise of God prophesied by the prophet Joel. That in that day, God said, I will pour my spirit out upon all flesh. The young men, they will see visions. The old men, they will dream dreams and I'll pour out my flesh on my, on my men's servants and my female servants, on all of them, Jew or Greek, slave or free, everybody will be empowered by the Spirit of God. They will live supernatural lives, not natural lives. And Peter says this promise, this promise of the Holy Spirit that has been fulfilled in your hearing today is not just for you, but for your children and for your children's children, and for as many as are afar off, as many as the Lord God will call. Has God called you? The promise is for you. The promise of the fullness of the Holy Spirit is for you. The Gentiles in Caesarea in Acts 10, verse 44, while Peter was saying these things, he's preaching the message. And as he's saying, it's not just a message that they're hearing, They're experiencing an encounter with the Holy Spirit. All of a sudden, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised, in other words, the Jewish believers who had come with Peter, they were amazed. They stood there astonished because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. How did they know? How did they know that these Gentiles had received the Holy Spirit? Oh, for they heard them speaking manifestation. Something happened. Something tangible that they could see and perceive happened as they received the Holy Spirit, for they heard them speaking in tongues and extolling God, operating by the power of the Holy Spirit. A tangible manifestation of God's power in our lives. This is a pattern that we see all throughout scripture. Is that people who who turn to God and 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 have a genuine relationship with Jesus, they have this encounter with Him. They, they have this authentic encounter in their hearts. It's not necessarily, doesn't mean that you you, know, you went to a big crusade and, and that somebody called you to the front and laid hands on you. I'm not talking about something in that sense, but, but spiritually, their souls opened up to the revelation of who Jesus is and the manifestation that comes out of that. We see this in Matthew 16, 16. Jesus speaking to His disciples. He says, but who do you say that I am? What, what is your understanding of me? What is your perception of who I am? And all of a sudden, Simon Peter replied, he says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. In other words, you're not just a moral teacher. You're not just a good example. You're not just a great leader. You're not just somebody who came to share some good uh, ideas with us. No, you are God. You are the Messiah. You are the Christ. And Jesus looked at him and said, blessed are you, Simon bar for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. It's not something he could have read in, on a website or in a blog or in a university textbook. It's not just theoretical, but God himself reveals, opens up, and gives us that revelation of Jesus. But my Father who is in heaven has shown you. So we have a supernatural faith. And if you have an issue with the supernatural quality of our faith, then you certainly have an issue not only with creation itself, but with the resurrection of Jesus. The dead came to life. You'd also have an issue with the life of Jesus, and in fact, with all of Scripture. Because it is chock-a-block full of supernatural work of God, His supernatural work. I remember listening to one of the last messages my grandfather preached in the early '90s, after many years in ministry, preaching, uh, you know, all over the country for many decades, and you know he personally had a supernatural encounter with God, which led to this. Um, you know, he was an accountant to begin with and became a preacher later on, and and just preached this gospel message, and uh, and I remember, you know, back in the old days. Pastors were a little bit more hardcore. I don't know if you've ever listened to those, but they didn't, you know, they weren't always so nice. You know, they, they kind of were a little bit cutthroat. And, um, and I remember in this message, my grandfather comes up, uh, one of the last ones that he preached, I, I remember watching it and he comes up and he looks at everybody and he says, I was watching you during worship. <laughs> which is like, why pastor? Why are you watching me during worship? But he says, I was watching you during worship. And he asked them this question. Why are you working so hard? to be naturalistic. Why are you trying to be so normal when God came, when Jesus came to make you supernatural? Come on, we've got we to give ourselves to, to the, the presence of God's Spirit. Why do we work so hard to naturalize our faith, fit it into some sort of modern-day naturalistic mold perhaps instead we should be putting our efforts into supernaturalizing our lives. How we live should be supernatural. That would be 1,000 times more consistent with the scriptures and with the life of Jesus. It's not just good advice, church. It's the presence of God. This was the problem with Corinth. They were so naturally minded that they constantly took the power of God and becoming lovers of themselves and wanting to to bend the word of God into some naturalistic modern mindset, they denied the power of the gospel. They were displaying a level of ignorance, which is so similar to many people today. And I've got many friends that are missionaries that are out in the deepest jungles, out on the Amazon River, out on the tops of mountains, out in all the most remote places of the world. And I'll tell you, sometimes the missionaries laugh at us suburban city dwelling believers for just how little faith we have in the supernatural ability of God. You hear their testimonies. One of them is when they were traveling with a tribe in Northern Namibia, a nomadic tribe who's lived that way for for millennia, don't even have a written language. And they're trying to reach out to these people, uh, trying to uh, spend time with them. They literally live with the, the tribe trying to teach them about the message of Jesus, trying to share the hope of Jesus with them and finding it really, really difficult to do so after centuries, millennia of of a specific culture and belief system that, that these tribes hold on to. Until one day, one of them was sick. And when you're out in the northern parts of Namibia, there's no hospital that you'll get to real quick. There's no GP around the corner. And so these guys went in and prayed. And by the work of the gifts of healings, that person was healed. And all of a sudden, the whole tribe wants to know Jesus. Why? Because there's a manifestation. Because there's God's power made present, put on display. I could bring a document here to you today with words on it. And I can say to you, this document here, is it, are these my words? Is this my statement? And really, you wouldn't know. You wouldn't know if I typed some words out on a piece of paper, you couldn't say for sure that those were my words. But if I took that same document and I signed it, it would hold up in any court of law across the world. Because now I have put my signature to my words. I have verified that that is the truth of my word. And the Bible tells us that the signs, the signs, the signature, the imprint, the mark, is a confirmation of the Word of God. It confirms, it makes God's Word tangible in people's lives. I heard another story about one of the missionaries that, that went out to uh, one of the islands of Indonesia where they practice voodoo and a lot of witchcraft and have very powerful uh, kind of witchcraft that they operate in by demonic forces. These are all real things, and, and they happen in the real world, even though in the cities we very rarely hear or see uh, anything to do with this. And these guys, they're out there, and they go into this, this one island just south of Bali, and they begin to witness to them, telling them about Jesus. And the, the chief of the tribe literally says to the missionary, I don't need your God. We have got power. Come, I'll show you how much power we've got. And they take this missionary out into a field, and about 100 men form a circle. And they put a woman in the middle of the field. And these men begin chanting and kind of going into a trance like state as they invoke these spirits and this, this demonic power. And all of a sudden, the, wooden, the, the woman in the middle of the circle begins to levitate begins to lift up off of the ground and, and the chief turns to the missionary and he says, you see the power that we have? Eventually, this woman is hanging about 10 meters up in the sky just by the power of this, this demonic force at work in that moment. This is real things, happens in real life. In our Western mindset, in our Western world, we, we don't even think those things can be possible anymore. So this missionary said to the chief, all right, he goes into the middle of the circle And he just stands there, just one guy, not a hundred, just one missionary, and he begins praying in tongues. And as he prays in tongues, obviously that demonic force scatters and that woman falls from 10 meters up, breaks both her legs. He gets down and he prays for her and both her legs are healed. And now the whole tribe wants to know Jesus. And you know, these missionaries, they have these encounters every day. And then they come to church on a Sunday when they're in the city getting supplies, And they hear Christians going, Yeah, I just don't know if the gifts are for today. I just don't know. It's like, Come on. We're living it every day. It's because we've switched ourselves off. We're not even expecting God to do something supernatural. We're always just trying to figure it out in our own strength. And then we wonder why we struggle to have impact and influence and be on mission. Because we're not using the tools that God has given us to be able to be on mission and to edify and encourage and build the church. This is the the purpose of the gifts. In Acts 1 verse 8, Jesus said, first of all, he starts by saying, go into all the world and preach the gospel. And then he says, but wait, but tarry, but hang on a minute. You need something before you go. He says in verse 8 of Acts 1, but you will receive Power. Wait in Jerusalem because you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And then you will be my witnesses. Judea, Samaria, and to the end of the earth. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, end of the earth. Wait for the power to be witnesses. What is the power to be a witness? It's the power of the Holy Spirit. So these gifts enable us to be on mission and they confirm God's word. Mark 16, verse 20 says, They went out and preached everywhere. So now they have the Spirit. They go out and they preach while the Lord worked with them and confirmed the message by accompanying signs. Let me say this very clearly. The signs are not the message. They accompany the message. We're not more, because some churches get this focus wrong, and they're more focused on, on the miraculous, supernatural work of God that they wanna see that they forget to share the gospel. And they develop some kind of strange theology around that. No, the gifts are not the message. They simply confirm the message. They are a signature. They're an accompanying sign confirming the message. So Paul starts by saying to the church in Corinth, he says, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. I don't want you to be uninformed. Another translation says, Ignorant. It's like a willful ignorance that some people have. I don't want to know about the gifts. That's weird. I'll just serve Jesus. I'll just go to church. I'll just give some money at the offering, but don't talk to me about the supernatural because that scares me. Paul says, I don't want you to be uninformed. I think it's still so relevant for us today. So many are uninformed or ignorant about this. And so Paul goes one step further. Not only do I want you to not be uninformed, He's like, hmm, that's interesting. Now I'm informed. No, I want you to go one step further, right? And we're gonna cover 1 Corinthians 14 in the series. But in 1 Corinthians 14 verse one, this is how he starts. He says, pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. Earnestly desire. You know, I looked that up in the Greek, my strong's concordance. I went to that word number and I looked it up. You know what earnestly desire means in the Greek? It means earnestly desire. It means exactly that. I want you to passionately pursue, to burn with zeal for the gifts of the Spirit. When I look at how some Christians approach the gifts of the Spirit, I think their Bibles might be broken. I think they might have changed some words because instead of earnestly desiring the spiritual gift, they earnestly discourage the, the, the spiritual gifts. They discourage it. Others earnestly despise the spiritual gifts. Can we just take stock of the fact this morning that Paul says, church, I want you to desire it. Can we have that as a starting point for our discussion on the spiritual gifts? It's a desire we should have. He wants us to have earnestly, passionately for the gifts. What are the gifts? We're gonna break these down as we go forward. And we're gonna talk about each one and how they operate. So it's gonna be an incredible series. I wanna encourage you to uh, book your seats every Sunday and not miss any of this. But here is in short where Paul goes on in verse eight. He says, "For to one is given the word of wisdom. So it's the word of wisdom through the Spirit. To another, the word of knowledge. We'll talk about what that looks like. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healings by the same Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, the discerning of spirits. To another, different kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. But one in the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. This is some powerful gifts. Miracles, healings, tongues, interpretation, prophecy, faith. Beyond just normal, everyday faith. This is talking about a gift of faith in a moment. The word of wisdom, the word of knowledge, these are powerful things we should earnestly desire them. We should want God to work those things in and through our lives. As I was writing my title down though, I saw some things in the title, those first few words that, that Paul write, wrote. He wrote, now concerning spiritual gifts, the title of my message today. But I realized that, that some people change those words around. Right? They, they adjust them slightly, at least in their hearts or in their minds. And the first way that they do this is instead of saying, now concerning spiritual gifts, it becomes now spiritual gifts. <laughs> they, they, you know, like that movie. Uh, I think it was Mike Myers who said, "You're putting the emphasis on the wrong syllable, right?" Like they 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 they, they put the emphasis in the wrong place. Is it now spiritual gifts? Like, are the spiritual gifts for now? People, there's a, a large group of people that believe that the spiritual gifts ended with the apostles. They're known as cessationists, which is just a fancy way of saying ceased. It ceased. We're not cessationists here at Anchor Church. We're continuationists, and I'll tell you why. Cessationists believe that the gifts of the Spirit ceased with the apostles. But why are we continuationists? Well, here's a few reasons. Number one, there is a consistent positive presence throughout the entire New Testament of all the spiritual gifts. We see it over and over and over and over again. It is spoken about by Paul, even to the church in Corinth, as if it's something that they can all operate in and should continue to operate in. It's not at all like he's saying, hey, you'll have this for a while, but you know, once the apostles are all gone, then you guys should all stop. But for now, you know, enjoy it while it lasts. No, he's instructing the church and he's saying, you should desire these gifts. He doesn't say for a time. He doesn't put a limit on it. He's speaking to the church. If all of Scripture is for the church, why do we think that 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 part, that specific section, that requires, interestingly enough, a manifestation and a level of faith from you to trust God for the fullness of what he has for you. Now, all of a sudden, you're going to count that part out. You'll take everything else that the Bible says, but you want to remove that one part. Secondly, there's extensive New Testament evidence of miraculous gifts among Christians who are not the apostles. So it wasn't just the apostles that operated in this. We see, and I could give you every single instance in the New Testament, if I had the time, where people that were not apostles operated by the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Nowhere does the New Testament ever suggest that certain spiritual gifts were uniquely and exclusively tied to the apostles or that the gifts passed with their passing. The Bible just doesn't say that. Number three, what was the purpose of the gifts? One of the main reasons for the gifts is to edify and build up and strengthen the church. Now, living here today in Joburg, in the year 2021, can I ask you a question? Does the church still need to be strengthened? Does it still need edifying? Does it still need encouraging? Does it still need to be built up? Yes, it does. So why would God remove His gift? Why would He take it away if He gave it to strengthen us as a church and as a body? In 1 Corinthians 3, 8 to 10, I remember this verse specifically because when I was in high school, I had uh, a girl who was also a Christian who was a cessationist because uh, I was kind of preaching this from high school already, and she came to me. and She's like, no, 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 but you know, the scripture says that tongues and prophecy will cease. This is, what, this is the actual scripture um, in verse 13. We'll get to it as well in chapter 13, uh, verse 8. It says, love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. This is what she's telling me now. As for tongues, they will cease. She stops there, conveniently. I'm like, and what does the next part say? Oh, no, 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 knowledge carries on. Knowledge carries on. So, how can you have three things that will pass away tongues, prophecy, and knowledge? And you just like, take knowledge out of the equation there. No, we still have knowledge, but not tongues and prophecy. This is what the scripture is saying it says, For we know now in part, we, we, we believe in faith, but we don't have the fullness of Jesus present with us like he will be when he returns physically to fetch his church, right? So right now, like Paul says, we see dimly through a glass, but then we will know in full. So even our knowledge of Jesus right now is still partial. It's not complete. And we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, when Jesus returns, the partial will pass away. Let me put it in real practical terms. If we're living in the presence of Jesus and we've all been totally and completely redeemed, body, mind, spirit, we're living in our glorified bodies in heaven in the presence of God every day. Do you need a prophecy? You need me to come and share a word with you? No, you're living in the presence of God. So there's a time when prophecy will be unnecessary because we'll be in the presence of Jesus. But right now, while we're battling the elements and the voices of this world, God uses these gifts to make Himself tangible to us. And so they will cease at a time, but not yet. Number four, there is consistent testimony, regardless of, you know, contrary to what many people proclaim. There is consistent testimony throughout most of church history concerning the operation of the miraculous gifts of the Spirit. This is not something that, that you know, stopped, God has always worked this way. And here at Anchor Church, we've been privileged to see God do miraculous things. You know, n- people often argue against miracles until they need one. <laughs> you say, I don't believe healing is for today. And then your daughter gets sick or your, your son gets sick. Uh, you, you, you wanna believe in healing now? Oh, all of a sudden we need a miracle from God. Well, the good news is we can believe. So I'm almost done this morning. The band, you guys can come up so long. The first way that people change my title from, or the verse from now concerning spiritual gifts is now spiritual gifts. The second way they do it is concerning spiritual gifts. This is very concerning. This is very concerning. I know of churches where the church board has had to have an emergency meeting. You know why? Someone spoke in tongues in church today. What are we gonna do? This is very concerning. They're so concerned that that if 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 people start operating in the gifts of the Spirit, how will we control it? How will we make sure that it's done in order? How will we make sure it doesn't get out of hand? How will we make sure that things don't get weird around here and people end up leaving? They're so concerned about the operation of the gifts of the Spirit. Instead of earnestly desiring them, they're so concerned. They seem less concerned, however, by Paul's words in 1 Corinthians 12, one corinthians 1. I do not want you to be ignorant or uninformed. I want you to earnestly desire. So as concerned as they are that maybe things will get unbiblical around here, in that very moment, they're being unbiblical, which is so ironic. We're not to be ignorant or uninformed about the gifts of the Spirit. The spiritual gifts are not concerning it should only concern you if you, if you don't know them. <laughs> and finally, they break that word concerning apart and they make it concerning. <laughs> so worried that this might be fake, that this might be counterfeit. What if this isn't the real Holy Spirit? What if it's something else? And i tell you, wherever God does something true, wherever God has given us any form of truth, anything good to enjoy, any gift, The enemy is always there to corrupt it. The enemy is always there to twist it and manipulate it and make it all about a person or that'll always exist. Whenever there's something genuine, there will be something false. But if we're gonna deny the gifts of the spirit based on the fact that there may be some fakes out there, then we need to be consistent. Then all of us need to go to our bosses on Monday morning and say to them, please, at the end of this month, don't give me my salary. You know why? There are some counterfeit notes out there. There's counterfeit money, so I don't don't want any money. Don't give me any money because there's counterfeits. You know what? If you're going through your wallet and you find a counterfeit, you deal with it when you find it. You don't need to throw your whole wallet away because you found one counterfeit note. In the same way, we don't need to be so concerned about the fact that something might be fake, that we reject all of it because we're rejecting the gift of God. It's not necessary, it's unfaithful. Let's just trust God. And you know what, if there are some people that are faking it and making a show out of it and hyping it all up for attention, let God deal with them. At least they believe in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. At least they're trying, let God help them. Here at Anchor Church, We want a powerful move of God. We want to see miracles happen. We want to see people healed. We want to see God do the impossible in your life. And we want it to be authentic. We've never hyped up a thing. We've never tried to make a show out of any of it. But if you're sick, come to us and we'll pray for you. And we will believe with all of our hearts that in that moment, God will heal you. That God can do anything in your life, in any moment, because He is God. And because the gifts of the Holy Spirit are for today. They're for us. There'll always be counterfeits, but we can trust God for the genuine. So as we go ahead in this series, we're gonna go through chapters 12, 13, and 14. We're gonna cover the gifts, speaking in tongues, and that motivation in love, of love, so that we too would not be uninformed as a church and become more aware of the power of the Holy Spirit available to us. In fact, My last verse this morning, as Paul prays for the church in Ephesus, young church, in Ephesus 1 verse 18, he prays this, he says, "'God, may they have the eyes of their hearts enlightened.'" The eye of your heart, what is that? It's your spirit, it's your spiritual man, your spiritual woman, the person you are on the inside, that you would have the eyes of your heart enlightened, able to see, opened up, so that you may know the hope to which you are called. And what is the immeasurable greatness of His power toward us who believe, according to the working of His great might. I wanna pray that over us today, that all of us would become more aware of the presence and the power of God that is at work, not only in us, but also through us as we remain on mission in a mad world, amen? Amen, let's stand this morning and I'll pray. hey, I know I recognize this may be new for you. This might be different. It might be out there. But you know what? Nothing that you receive from God will harm you. God gives good gifts to His children. He gives good gifts. And the fact, the Bible says, anybody who asks for the Holy Spirit, God will not give him something else. What if I ask for the Holy Spirit and instead I receive a bad spirit? The Bible says, if you as earthly fathers here on Father's Day know how to give your children good gifts, If your child asks you for bread, you do not give him a stone. If he asks you for fish, you don't give him a serpent. And you as fathers, earthly fathers are evil. How much more, the scripture says, will your father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? So if you ask God for the power of the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the filling of the Holy Spirit in your life, he's not gonna give you a counterfeit. He's gonna give you the real thing because he's a good father. We can trust Him for that. So let's go ahead and trust Him for that right now. Lord Jesus, we just thank You that You are so good to us. You love us so much. God, we thank You that You didn't leave us as orphans in this world. You didn't say, here, you just go out and try and do what I did. No, You empowered us. You sent Your Spirit. You you not only died on the cross and was raised from the dead to redeem us all, but then on top of that, You sent Your Spirit, God poured out on the day of Pentecost for all of us the promise of God's Spirit so that we may know you God, be strengthened by you God, be transformed by you God, but also so that we can make a difference in our world by the power of the Holy Spirit. So we thank you God for the gifts of the Spirit in operation in every single person's life today, that we will all trust you more supernaturally That we will all pray more and trust more and believe more for miracles and healings and and, and encouragement for others. And that we will live supernatural lives to the glory of God, founded and established upon the gospel of Jesus Christ. We thank you for that today, God. I thank you for a supernatural move in every heart in this place in Jesus' name.